Welcome to the Threat Assessment 2022 podcast series. I'm your co-host, Michael Frank, based in Hong Kong with Economist Impact's Policy and Insights practice. I'm joined by my colleague and co-host, Yuan Xiong, based in Beijing. Happy to be here. Over the course of three episodes, Yuan and I will be speaking with leaders in digital finance, from traditional banks to fintechs to non-financial firms, about the trends they see in their industry. There's a lot to cover amid a significant evolution in banking as a service and embedded finance. But first, we'd like to set the stage with some of our latest research sponsored by WSO2. The Threat Assessment 2022 research program features a survey of global finance executives on digital competition. Some of the key findings are that while more non-financial firms, in particular tech and telcos, are providing embedded finance, many executives are finding reasons to be optimistic about the threat as they forge new partnerships with fintechs. Another point is that technology can be a key differentiator. One of the biggest challenges facing traditional banks are legacy systems that are costly to overhaul. But new technology has much lower marginal cost and is generally more nimble. Big data is a great example of that, and traditional institutions are feeling upbeat about how effective those deployments have been over the past couple of years. Finally, it's not all about cost cutting. Sure, there are gains to be had through greater efficiency, but financial institutions are reaping the benefits of an improved customer experience that helps to distinguish them from the competition. Well, if you're interested in learning more, please head to impact.economist.com and you can find Threat Assessment 2022, Digital Competition in Global Finance, available to download for free. So today, what we'll do is dive into the foundation of this program with two experts who know a thing or two about digital competition. First up, we have Usman Ahmed, who's the head of global public policy at PayPal. Technology has been driving innovation in the financial services sector for many decades. And certainly competition is generally, you know, linked with increased innovation and increased technological adoption. But it's not just competition. I think what's really interesting about what's going on in the financial services space is technology is making it possible for entities that maybe you might think would be competitive to actually um, leverage the best of one another's assets, leverage the best of one another's technologies to really deliver better experiences for the customer. That's really what we're focused on, on at PayPal. You know, we sit in a over trillion dollar payments marketplace. And so there's no way that one firm is going to own that entire market globally. So we really view the kinds of innovations we're pursuing in technology, which are a lot around security, uh, cybersecurity, customer security, privacy, payments innovation, tokenization, AI, not just as competitive edge, but also as a partnership edge. And that's really the exciting part, I think, about what's going on now in the technology and financial services ecosystem is that ability to leverage one another's technological solutions to really drive innovation. When there's customers who have multiple needs, which is every customer, uh, no, nobody you know typically just wants one thing forever. There's a lot of changing needs and desires. The entire world has been completely transformed in the past couple of years. I think it's highly unlikely that one single player is going to own all of that real estate, and so. A lot of organizations and institutions have realized that, and they're realizing that, yes, 
we might be competitive with a business on a particular set of things, and we might cooperate along very similar lines. And I, and I think that's not unique to financial services. I think that exists in the energy sector and it exists in transportation. When there's such a huge problem or there's such a huge market opportunity, there is fertile ground for organizations to have coopetition or, you know, any one of those joint versions of those two words where you might be competitive along two different lines, you might be competitive along the same lines, but you might also partner. And that happens a ton for PayPal. So what are the cybersecurity concerns or challenges, including consumer trust with new technology? You see, you know, studies about industry generally, let alone financial services. The number one concern listed is, is cybersecurity. And I think that's why it's, it's so central in financial services, the issue of cybersecurity, because financial services has always been about trust. For us at PayPal, you know, I, I probably will think about it at a couple of different layers. There's the, the institutional layer with the data of the company, the systems that the company uh, manages, making sure that those are safe and secure and practicing the, the highest levels of security standards, both for the physical infrastructure and for the digital infrastructure, uh, particularly when it comes to sensitive information. Then you've got the partners um, and the providers that an institution will engage with. And so making sure that those entities are up to standards and often the highest standards to be able to partner in with you for service provision. And then, as you said, kind of customers, right? Customers have cybersecurity on their minds more and more, stopping and taking a second to say, hey, who am I really engaging with, transacting with? What type of entity are there? Again, because it's, it really comes down to trust. Um, those are all kind of customers of ours that we think very, very carefully about when it comes to cybersecurity. And I mentioned in an earlier response the, the issue of tokenization, leveraging cryptography to ensure that as few entities as possible have access to sensitive information. That's kind of a, a core piece of the architecture of, of good cybersecurity practices. And so, again, it's, it's just uh, top of mind at all times. A very large number of uh, people in our company are employed to ensure that, and, it, and it's central to the trust that, that PayPal has built with our customers. There has to be a pretty big education component here, too. But for the average consumer, if there's a high-profile case, even if statistically it's a lot less likely that you have a successful cybersecurity attack in this new digital architecture. Does that really stick with consumers? Have you found that, you know, it's important to bring people along that journey and help them understand a little bit more about not just whether or not their finances are safe, but how they are safe? It's a great point, Michael. And I think it's, it's absolutely correct. It's also a very, very difficult challenge. It's kind of the the ultimate challenge in cybersecurity, right, which is that you're only as strong as your weakest link. And oftentimes the weakest link is, is, is an end customer who might, you know, not keep their password safe or might leave their laptop open and logged in to a particular service, right? And so education is, is certainly part of it. But I also think when it comes to the everyday customer, it's, it's probably not the best policy to, to put it all on them. The institutions themselves can really do their customers a great service by 
putting in place really strong cybersecurity practices. And I mentioned, you know, that's that's kind of been the focus of PayPal is how do we do within the service itself as much as possible to keep customers safe, to leverage the data that might be used for all sorts of things, to actually use it to keep customers safe. And that is, I think, really one of the most interesting parts of PayPal and, and one of the most interesting parts of, of the industry more generally as it's evolving is being able to do a lot of those things in the background to make a customer safe and secure because it's it's oftentimes going to be hard for them to compete and keep themselves safe when the bad actors are pretty sophisticated, right? They have a lot of experience, computing power, tricks up their sleeve to get at these end customers. And so PayPal's role in part is to really try to fight some of those things off and help to protect our customers. Let's talk a little more specifically about the the customer, the consumer here. I mean, with their capabilities and their interests in digital finance, do you see those characteristics being more limitations of or, or enablers of digital finance right now? It's an interesting way of framing it. There are typically a, a set of early adopter customers who are yearning for something new, right? They're trying out some new product or service, and they might need some new financial service to kind of enable them to live in that world, right? You, you think about the rise of the gig economy, for example, is created an entirely new set of, of financial services that, that match that lifestyle. And the other thing is right now, every single person has a mobile device. Um, there's just the level of technological engagement around the world is unprecedented in human history. The amount of people that are connected and that have similarly situated devices is unprecedented. WSO2 helps you innovate faster with our platform for API management, integration, and customer identity and access management. Leading enterprises across finance, healthcare, retail, and other industries rely on WSO2 for mission-critical applications, exposing more than 500,000 APIs, managing over 500 million identities, and executing over 18 trillion transactions annually. Visit WSO2.com for more. It was interesting to hear Usman talk about this relationship that is defined by both competition and cooperation. It's almost zen-like or, or quantum. The partnerships are real, but at the end of the day, it's still a marketplace. I think it is interesting to hear about that because it was a surprising part of our research that fintech competition seems to be less intense now than it was before. But it's not like it has gone away completely. That's exactly right. We had a great conversation with Cecilia Chu that touched on this theme as well. Cecilia is the co-founder and CEO of Utrip, a Singapore-based mobile financial platform that connects a mobile wallet to a contactless MasterCard to make payments in over 150 currencies. They've got quite an interesting perspective at a time when Southeast Asia is really starting to reopen. It was interesting to hear from Cecilia about what's going on in the region's digital finance landscape related to COVID reopening too. Agreed. All right, here we are with Cecilia Chu. Are incumbent banks and fintech partners or competitors? 
So if we uh, first take a step back, right, it's really a great time to be in technology today. In every industry, every company that I know of, whether, you know, it's big or small, new or old, are really embracing digitalization and workflow automation as a big part of life. And so, you know, taking their finance operations and some of that payment journey uh, with their customers online is a truly natural next step for many of these companies. So whether you are a bank or fintech players, we can longer simply pick side and say, hey, you know, we are not working together. What we are seeing in the market, how it evolves is really that incumbents are increasingly thinking from the perspective of ecosystems. It is a lot of new possibilities, a lot of new ways in terms of how banks and fintechs could now work together. And, you know, if I uh, give you an example, being a fintech ourselves, how I think about bank today in terms of our relationship, it's, you know, on one hand, we can certainly partner to co-develop, co-engineer new products to be put out in a market. But the bank could also very much be my customer in new occasions where we are launching new products. We are also a distributor and a reseller of some of the banking products as well. One of the biggest evolution of the whole fintech and banking landscape over the recent few years is really on the flexibility, the variety of arrangements possible. What are your thoughts on competition from non-financial institutions in the embedded finance space? I think we have seen so many tech and telcos and to your point, airline companies even to really enter that finance or embedded finance space. But I think um, overall, the payment and finance industry today is still going through a massive scale in terms of digital transformation. I would say that, you know, today across Southeast Asia as a region, vast majority of the payment transactions are actually still done in cash. So as an industry, as a market, I think there's still a lot more to do. There's still huge room to grow. But at the same time, uh, you're right. I think many of these uh, non-traditionally financed companies have entered the space. And first thought that come to mind is that it really serves as a great reminder of how important finance and payment is as a critical component of a person's daily lives. Secondly, I would say that a lot of these big push particularly in the recent two, three years, a lot of these big initiatives are really serves as good customer education to bring people and businesses onto the digital ecosystem. So I would say that while there are many more options and many more products in the market, what I believe to determine success of a particular fintech offering, it's not necessarily the type of companies who offer it. The challenge that I see from big tech or telcos, uh, a lot of these non-financial, very established company is that despite having massive resources, talent, and even user base, the question remains whether or not you can make finance a fintech project a true priority from the management bandwidth and uh, the company resources standpoint. And having running my own company for a while now, I would say doing one thing well it's already quite hard. Doing multiple things simultaneously well is uh, much harder. So while as a customer, it's always great to have more choices and options in the market, but I think seeing uh, truly revolutionary finance offerings coming from a big tech or a telco outside 
of their core business, it's still something that we will wait and see. It uh, certainly feels a bit uh, too early to tell. So how do banks and fintechs regain their competitive edge through collaboration? What I love about the fintech industry is that it is actually complex. We play at the intersection of finance technology, but also understanding of the regulatory licenses and even uh, compliances aspect uh, of the business. So what I love the most about what we do, it's really to turn something fairly complex into an experience that is so seamless, easy to use, and almost feels effortless. In this regard, I would say that there's still ample opportunity for banks and fintechs who really have these deep expertise of this particular complex system to continue uh, building and developing uh, new and interesting products uh, into the market. And I would say having spent close to 20 years between finance and, and the technology industry now, the bigger question around developing your unique and competitive edge. It's really, you know, centered on finding and being exceptionally passionate about solving problems that are meaningful to you. It's interesting to hear that too, in the context of these big digital transformation initiatives, particularly at the big institutions, there's this view of what's the utility here? We're spending hundreds of millions of dollars and this is taking many years. We can't just be throwing technology at the business for the sake of having more technology, but it needs to be resolving a particular business issue. We can work with maybe smaller, nimbler companies that specialize to resolve these issues without embarking on those broader programs that can be quite costly. Yeah, I, I absolutely love the way you put it. And I think your observation is, is absolutely right. Recently in the market, when we uh, talked to many of the market players, we realized that the digital transformation is not only happening among financial companies. The digital transformation is actually really happening in, in every industry and every company. So recently at Utrip, we have uh, launched a SME version, a corporate version of our multi-currency product. And when we go to talk to our customers, what we realize is that many of them were not the startup that we were originally thinking about. They were actually pretty traditional business, like a mom and pop retail stores, travel agencies, restaurants group. And what we realized is that, you know, over the last two years, when, when they were impacted by the pandemic, the first digital transformation that they did is to put the storefront online. So that is step number one. And after they have done that, they realize that it actually opens up a lot of new opportunity for them because they no longer constrained by uh, the country that they incorporate in. They, they can sell anywhere now. And so the second step that they're now thinking about is then digital payments, online payments, because who they can sell to, what kind of partner that they can work with, or even who they can hire Utrip is, I feel like, sitting at the intersection of both the new normal and a return to the pre-pandemic era where we're cheering on a return of tourism and people traveling and requiring those financial services across borders for the first time in a couple of years. But at the same time, it very much feels like this is a threshold model where people have made these changes in their lives and gotten more exposure to digital finance and uh, they have no interest in going back to the way things were before. They're going to stick with 
these new platforms and uh, new patterns of finance that they picked up over the last couple of years. Is that something that you're optimistic about, that permanent shift? There's so much excitement in the market. People are planning the next journeys, the next trips on a consumer, on a personal basis. And of course, all the businesses have started to travel once again to do that business development, to reconnect with new and old partners. So I think the market uh, within Southeast Asia right now, it's really full of excitement and uh, growth prospects. What we see in our own data is that we actually have doubled our business over the last three months. Um, it's uh, something that we haven't uh, seen for a while and uh, we are now doing about three times of what we did compared to a year ago. And we are also uh, way above our pre-pandemic uh, level back in 2019. I think what uh, the pandemic has truly helped us to make digital payments, to make digitalization, to make automation and technology to be a mainstay, to be a core part of people's and businesses' future because we all want to stay competitive in the new norm. You know, one thing that stands out across both of these interviews is how the market landscape has changed. But I wonder how the internal landscape has changed. The cultural element is crucial. It's very important. And in some ways, it's a lot less clear in our research what companies are doing to adapt their culture to respond to changing market dynamics and the evolution of technology. Fortunately, we have a podcast episode coming up that is dedicated to answering that particular question. Join us next month as UN and I continue the threat assessment series with a deep dive on digital finance and company culture. Many thanks to Usman Ahmed and Cecilia Chu for their time and insights. And thank you for listening. We'll hope you join us in the next episode.